Today our gospel is the gospel of Matthew. I'll be reading from the 25th chapter, verses 31 through 46. Again, that is Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. I invite you, if you're able, to stand for the reading of the gospel. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations... And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, Just as you did it for the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you are accursed. Depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not, or naked and you did not give me some clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then he will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick and in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it unto me. And these will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of God for the people of God. Have you ever seen those pictures that when you look at them, it's like a whole bunch of pictures side by side, usually of a similar scene, and you can scroll through it, but if you start to back away from it and get far enough away in perspective, what you end up seeing is that all those little pictures that you were looking at are actually pixels in another picture. And so they sort of come together and make up the greater sum. I bring that up because oftentimes when we read the scriptures, we get different accounts. We get different personalities, I guess. I don't, I don't want to say, I don't want to say not, they have multiple personalities, but we get different sides of Christ's personality. We have, matter of fact, we're getting ready to do the Advent Christmas season, and of course, then we have the baby Jesus. We have the, the manger and all the, all the joyful singing of the angels and all of that. And then, of course, there are the many stories where Jesus went out into areas and those who are untouchable, those who are unloved, who are uncared for, that he would reach out to them the thousands that he fed and taught, and those that he healed. So we have all of these different pictures of who Christ is and his different personalities. As a matter of fact, if you go through the Bible, I one time heard somebody, and they were not a Christian, but they basically said, you know, I don't really believe in all that, but I do like the God of the New Testament a lot better than the God of the Old Testament, which kind of took me aback, because I got news for you. If 
that ever entered your mind, remember this. There is only one God. and He is eternal. Now, we get different perspectives when he interacts with us in different ways at different times, specifically to meet our needs, but mostly to accomplish his will. Matter of fact, the sum total of every word that is in Scripture led to the moment that Jesus was talking about today, and that is the return. Now, during the last two weeks, we talked about the bridesmaids, we talked about the slaves and the talents, and you know, I unpacked that for you, and, and we all agreed that basically what Jesus was talking about there was his return. Same page? Some of you are like, I'm not sure if I was here. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give you a brief, brief summary. Basically, what we were showing is that through these parables, Jesus was telling his people to be prepared, to be ready, that he is coming back, and to be actively prepared. Not, not just sitting there waiting for something that might happen, but to actually live your life in according with the belief that he will be back, and we don't know when or where or, or how it will take place. But what we do know is he has told us how we are to act in the meantime. We also know that the act of Christ coming back is actually the culmination of everything. From the moment God decided to create, and he created things wonderfully and perfect, even at that very moment, God knew that we would mess it up. When God put Adam and Eve into the garden and gave them all the trees to eat from and just one little rule, even as he did it, he knew it was what was going to happen. Now, again, those some people that, whose faith either they don't have a faith or they don't quite understand our faith will be like, well, why did God put the tree in the garden in the first place? Wouldn't it have just been easier? And as I've said so many times publicly, I don't know. You know, there's just some things in the Bible we can't answer. You read through the Bible, you look through Scripture, you try to find an answer, and oftentimes Scripture will answer Scripture, it'll inform, it'll help you have a theory. But as to why God put that tree in the garden, knowing that they were going to do that, I don't know. But what I do know is that in spite of that fact, God, from the very beginning of creation, God had a plan, and that plan would include fixing us after we fell, sending countless prophets and scripture, and law to help his people understand and have a relationship better with him. And he would continually cry out to them and bring them out of the disaster which they continually brought upon themselves. And so the entire story of the scripture is one of a rebellious people and a loving God who always had the plan to take care of it. Even up to the ultimate point when we have Christ. When God comes off of his throne. Remember what it says that he, although he was in the same form with God, did not seem to grasp being God by his own, but he emptied himself and he came down. And so the Christ, the Messiah, the Son, came down and he gave up his power. He gave up his glory. He gave up all of that so that he could walk this earth with us. Teach us. Gather us. And bring us back into the fold. Remind us of who we were and how we were to be. But today, Jesus dispenses with parables. No more hyperbole, no more uh, metaphors. He just flat out says it. When the Son of Man comes back, you will see him with all of his angels. And he won't be walking through the marketplaces. He won't be lifting up the lame. He will be seated on his throne of power and glory. Because that is his rightful place. Because Jesus Christ, and again, sometimes we get so used to and, and, and how much we love and 
respect him, sometimes we forget just how great he is and how much above us he is. And so he's sitting right here telling us the story. He goes, when I come back, I will be enthroned. I will be back in my rightful place. Things will be made right. And in that power and glory, here's what's going to happen. My angels are going to gather all the nations. That part sounds good. But then, using the imagery of a shepherd, because being the reigning king is also a shepherd king, because he talks about caring for his lambs. As a matter of fact, even in the psalm today, we talk about being the sheep of his pastor. And so, in this benevolent, powerful, kingly duty, he also then becomes the judge. For he who was judged by the world and condemned on our behalf is now our judge. And so he then sits down and separates the sheep and the goats. And of course, we've all heard that. There are even people that aren't religious, and they use that terminology, separating the sheep from the goat, to talk about division. Now, this brings up sort of a crucial complaint that I hear often when talking with non-believers, and even some believers. Because when we talk about our loving and our merciful and our gracious God, that when we have stories where there is wrath and there is judgment and there is condemnation, suddenly we don't want to see the entire picture. Like I said, you know, people say that they like God or the New Testament better than the Old. Basically what they're saying is, I like it when God's nice. But God is all of these things. And ultimately the culmination of this is for him to divide according to his divine will where his creation falls. And so, even though those who have objections say, come on, you know, I'm, have you ever had a friend that say, well, I'm just a, basically a good person. I don't need church. I don't, I, don't, I don't need to, you know, hear about Jesus. I just, you know, I'm good enough. Anybody run us people like that? Well, this story says that just isn't true. There will be a day, and other people go, well, does God really send people to hell? I mean, don't we all get a free pass? Don't we? Don't, come on. We all got trophies. Don't we all get wings and harps? Well, first of all, no, because we're not going to become angels, so that's a whole different thing, but we'll get into that later on in the, in the year or maybe next year. But the thought of everybody getting in would mean that there was no reason for the cross. If everybody was, was basically destined to come in, or even if God did not put that tree in there, if sin had not come into the world, there would not have been a need for any of the Scripture, for any of the prophets, for any of the Messiah talk, and there would have been no reason for the Messiah to come here and die on the cross in our stead. Now again, people will say, but hi, how does that happen? Why does that happen? Explain that to me. And at that point, I just have to say, well, I have faith. I believe it. I know it to be true, but I cannot prove it to you like balancing a chemistry equation or doing some math formula. It just simply is. And why it is, I don't know. But the fact that it is, and Jesus says right here, it's going to happen. He is going to divide the sheep from the goat. But he also, there's an explanation. When he tells them this, what does what, what he say to them? What are the words that he uses to explain the reason for the division and the blessing and the cursing that is going on here? Yeah, there were actions. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. You gave me clothing. You visited me in prison. You cared for me. You welcomed me in. And of course, the thought is, well, we did none of that for you. And he says, as you have done this unto the least, you have done it to me. 
And then to the other group, as you have not done it to the least, you have done it to me. And of course, this puts us, especially as Reformed Presbyterians, kind of in a weird box. Because what does that sound like? Works righteousness. I mean, basically, if you want to be a sheep, then what do you have to do? Live right. You have to take care. You have to feed the poor and the hungry. You have to clothe those that don't have clothes. You have to give shelter to those that have shelter. I mean, it's a pretty simple formula, is it not? And so by this account, if we take that so literally, we may be tempted to think, okay, well, in that case, I can earn my spot on the team, which is easy to slip into that. I myself, there are times when I'm like, I just got to do better. I got to work harder. I got to do this so that God will love me more, so that God will think that I'm worth what he's given to me. And see, that's one of those fallacies that takes us off center. Because if that was true, if all it took was to feed and care for other people, then again, Christ would not have had to come and die on the cross. We would not have to have gone through all of that. It would be simply a matter of having an accountant somewhere that could tell us how many sins we had committed and how many good deeds we have to do and figure out the balance. There are a lot of religions that that's their theory. That's what they... Undergo. The problem with that is, first of all, no one can possibly know all the sins you've committed. Because if, the, if a, a, a sin of thought is, a, is a, just as bad as a thin, sin that you do. And let's face it, we have thousands of thoughts every day. Some more than others. Most of them good, most of them innocuous, but some of them not so good. I mean, I have to admit it. There are times when I'm walking by the shore and I see fish swimming there and I see a rock. And I go back to the eight-year-old me, and I'm thinking, that would be fun. And just pick that up and see if I can whack that. That's not, a, that's not a nice thing to do. So and even that I would consider a slight sin. Now, just for the record, as an adult, I've never picked up a rock and thrown it at a fish or a bird. So, yeah, I just, just want you all to know that because sometimes I'll say things, people go, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> Maybe when I was eight, but... But even if I had, there would still be this idea of forgiveness. It's not about just the nature of sin and then doing good to repair it. So if that's the case, why did Jesus bring up these things? And it's also very easy to see once you look at the characters in the story. You see? Because if it was about doing good deeds and doing things the right way, then you would be able to see a sheep turn into a goat for not doing the right things, or a goat turned into a sheep. But in this case, they come up, and they're already sheep and goats, and he just merely separates them. So our actions matter. We're told to be prepared, but here's the thing about those actions. Those actions do not come and create us to be good Christians. Those actions do not earn God's love for us, because God first loved us, because Christ came and died for us while we were yet sinners, because all of these things happened at the beginning of creation, that God created this and made this to be the way that it would. And so, in truth, those people that asked the question, Lord, when did we see you and help you? The simple fact was, these were sheep because they already belonged to the Father. They were his sheep, and because of that, their very nature was to do the things and emulate what Christ had taught them, and that should be ours. And as we know, the more things that we do that we practice, the more those become who we are. And so it's not that you can be good enough to earn God's love, 
but it is simply living into who you were created to be in the first place. And this is a promise. This is not, uh, okay, you're still on earth, you have, you know, a few hundred years or maybe a few days, who knows, given the way the world's going these days, we really can't be 100% positive how much longer it's going to go. But it's not a warning saying, you better get active and start doing all these good things to earn your place. Basically, what it's reminding you is, you are, as the psalmist said, sheep of his pasture. And so, allowing ourselves and practicing those good things, not to earn his love, but because he first gave us his love. So there's a lot of things in the Bible that are confusing at times. And, you know, again, this idea of works righteousness, I'm not telling you works are bad because it clearly says faith without works are dead. Works are required, but works do not create faith. Faith creates works. And God's love, his creation, all of that was by his doing. And so when he comes back and he does the judgment and separates us, I truly believe the only, only choice we have is to say, praise you for what you have done, God. And I really believe that's what it's going to be like. We're going to be standing around his throne, eternally praising God and truly basking in the goodness and the joy and all of the sin, all of the decay, all of the things that we've been marked through in this world will simply just go away. And we will truly be with our Lord in glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, I give you thanks and praise for this day. I give you thanks for the way you have laid out our lives and the gifts that you have given unto us. Lord, as we continue to struggle with the things of this world, as we continue to try to grow into that which you created us to be, through your spirit, allow us each day to become more like Jesus and less like this world. We pray in his holy name. Amen and amen.